Today is the third part, the final part of a series that we have been in called The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And that sentence or that statement comes from John chapter 14. Just to give you a little background about what was happening when Jesus said this is he was kind of giving his going, going away speech. Uh, he, he, he was about to be arrested and about to be killed. He was going to raise from the dead and go back to, to be with God. And the disciples had no idea what was about to happen. He had been trying to tell them, but like us sometimes, they were oblivious to what God was trying to do. And so they didn't get it. And so knowing that once he was arrested and those three days he was going to be in the grave, that the disciples were going to be utterly confused and scared, he began to explain to them what was going to happen. And I just want to read this to you, John chapter 14, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled because their hearts were troubled (laughs) because he said he was going away. Trust, some translations say, or believe in God and trust or believe also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, what I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. And so Jesus is just explaining, literally, he is explaining heaven. He is explaining the next life. He's saying, I'm going to go And when the time is right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Nobody knows what that time is, by the way, so don't believe what you read on Facebook, all right? Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back, all right, when the world's going to end. And so he says, I'm going away, but don't be troubled by that because I want you to want to be where I am, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me. And then he says, and you know where we're going. You know, he says it like, and you know where we're going. And Thomas, one of the disciples, says back to Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know. Where are you going? This makes no sense. And, and so Thomas says, we don't know. How can we, we want to know, so how can we know the way? Thinking he was going to get some directions, a GPS, a navigation, step, 50 steps. And Jesus says back what we've been talking about these three weeks. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this statement is a bold, audacious, exclusive statement made by Jesus. And it separates him from every religious leader that has ever lived, every religious leader that will ever live, because Jesus, unlike other religions and other religious leaders, wasn't saying, let me tell you how to earn a better next life, or let me tell you how to get closer to God through these steps. Jesus was saying, I'm the way. There is only one way, and I am the way, and there is only one foundation or standard of truth. I am the truth. And then he said, I am, I am the, I'm the life. If we want to get to God, if we want to get to heaven, if we want eternal life, Jesus says, me, you're looking at it right here. I am the way. And so today, we're going to look at this last statement he made. The first week we talked about the way, Pastor Katie did amazing, and then the next week we talked about the truth last week, and then today we're going to finish this series out by talking about I am the life. And I'm really excited about this message because I think of of all the statements that Jesus made, I think this is the one that probably our society and our culture, that includes us, wants to push back from the most. Jesus says, I am the life. Life is found in me. But we tend to, we culture, society, tend to believe that religion is old-fashioned, 
Jesus is a little bit unnecessary. If you talk to like a grumpy Christian, it sounds like a grumpy, unhappily married man, like the old ball and chain, gotta go to church, gotta, you know. No. And so we, we believe as a society that we've advanced, we're smarter, we're more civilized, we're more enlightened. And come on, Jason, I mean, are we really gonna base our life off a book that was thousands of years old? I mean, come on, Jason, surely we've advanced a little bit beyond that now. I mean, we, we don't need to, to look back to, to, to really find life. And I mean, if I follow Jesus, if I commit my life to God, if I become a part of, of this religion, and I mean that in the best possible sense, I'm going to be giving up all my freedom. I'm going to be giving up all the ways and the things that would, would allow me to have fun and and I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't want to waste my 20s, you know, I just want to really get to do my fun stuff, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I got a, I've got a, I got a spring break trip coming up, let's talk about Jesus after that, you know, I, I'm going on a cruise, I don't really want to, you know, obligate myself to religion here, right? Because in our minds, we think there's something out there that's better, that gives us life, and Jesus steps up and says, I'm life, I am life, I'm the life, you want to live? You can only get your life from, from me. And so we are all, I mean, we're tempted by it. We're, we think about it, but especially culture and society. We're, we've advanced. We're more enlightened. We're, we're beyond all of that. But are we really? I mean, are we really at a better place as a society and as a culture now than we've ever been? Because that is kind of the thought. I mean, it's, 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 it's that we've, we've advanced we're intelligent, we're enlightened. So I just wanted to know, is that true? Because there obviously have been some advancements, but is it true as a society and as a culture that we are more alive now, that we uh, have advanced beyond that? Well, if you do a little research, the news, is not, the news is not great. Just this week, I don't know if you saw this, but just this week, the, uh, the Department for Center for Disease and Control and Prevention released a study that for the fourth straight year, have you seen this? Sexually transmitted diseases are up in the United States of America. Cases of gonorrhea, syphilis, and chlamydia all increased. Proud to be an American. Come on, in 2017. Fourth straight year, by the way, that it's gone up, and now the United States continues to have the highest STD rates in the industrialized world, by the way. So be proud of that, America, all right? Now, if you're looking for better news... The Center for Disease and Control and Prevention is very concerned because gonorrhea could soon become resistant to all current antibiotics. So that's something to be excited about today, that we really are, are really advancing on the, on the home front there sexually. Here, here's, here's some other good news for you, is that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a study this year that the death rates of middle-aged white men up. And not because of heart disease, uh, not, not because of diabetes, but instead because of an epidemic of suicides and affliction stemming from substance abuse, alcohol, liver disease, overdoses of heroin, and prescription opioids. These are the middle-aged white guys with money. These are the guys who live in the neighborhoods that you move out of the bad neighborhoods to go live in their neighborhoods. Death rates up. Suicide. Heroin addiction, opioids, liver disease. 40 million people will experience an impairment because of an anxiety disorder this year. 
43% of Americans take some form of mood-altering medication regularly. So excuse the uh, irony or the sarcasm a little bit, if you will, that we would somehow look at Jesus who says, I am life, and we would go, no, 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 we know what we're doing, Jesus. Four straight years, STD's up. Suicide, heroin addiction, opioid, depression, anxiety, medication, through the roof. It almost seems as if the more we try to feel alive, the more we kill ourselves. That the more we search for life, the more that we harm ourselves, the more that we want to wake up and be alive, the more dead that we feel. And so Jesus steps on the scene and says, I am life. And it's so relevant to where we are because we want to be alive. We want to feel alive. We want life. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. It's a book in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And the reason that we're going to read from Ephesians, it's on your sermon guide, is because Paul is going to uh, expound. He's going he's gonna to open up this idea of Jesus being the life. He's going to take it a step further and explain to us why this matters for our life. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 1 and read for a little bit. If you want to find that in your Bible or it'll be up on the screen while you're looking for that. I, I was talking recently to my daughter, Sadie, my oldest daughter. She just turned 10, and we were having this conversation. And I mean, you know, poor pastor's kids. Everything's a sermon illustration. And so we're, we're driving home from her soccer practice, and my daughter, Sadie, loves soccer. And uh, she's played every year since she was really little. And uh, she's pretty good at it. I mean, I'm partial, but I think she's pretty good at it. And so this year, we moved up a league. I don't know how much you know about girls' youth soccer, but... We're playing now in what they call U12, under 12. So we're playing against 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. Depending on where your birthday is, you could be 13. And Sadie just turned 10, so she's a lot smaller than everybody out there. And we moved up from the league of the 7, 8, and 9-year-olds. And so we, we moved up. And this girl, Sadie, who loves soccer, it brings so much joy to her life. Every practice she has left with tears in her eyes. She's been crying. So as a dad, I'm stepping back watching this, like, what's going on? What happened to, you know, loving soccer? And so we're driving home after the last practice. I don't want to embarrass her. Don't bring it up when you see her after service. But um, we're driving home after practice, this last practice. And I said to her, I said, Sadie, I don't, I don't feel like you're having any fun. I don't feel like that, you know, you used to really love this. I don't feel like you're having any fun. And here's what she said to me. She said, Dad, I love soccer. I mean, I really do. Like, I love soccer. I love playing with my friends. But she said, something's different. She said, it feels like now that we've moved up to the next level, there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure. Like, practice feels like there's more pressure. The drills are harder. The games feel like there's more pressure. I just feel all this pressure. Now, a great dad in that moment would have been like, no, baby, that's not true. I didn't know exactly what to say. And I said, well, baby, you just need to get used to it. <laughs> a lot of compassion right here. <laughs> and here's why I said it. I said that, never, that feeling's never going to go away. Because from a very, very early age, when we are old enough to uh, interact with people, 
and pick up on people's expectations. Isn't it true that from the moment we are a child, the voices of authority in our life make us feel as if we need to do better? We need to do better. I mean, you're, you're learning how to walk. And it's like, come on, walk, come on. No, 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 come on, in the potty. We're doing this in the potty. Why are you not doing it in the, I mean, from a very early age, it's like, you need to do better. You start school, you're doing good, but you could do better. You could do better, you could study more. You, you work yourself through school, you get a job, you get a boss, and you're doing good, but you could do better. You could perform a little more, get in a little earlier, stay a little later, make a little more money for the company. Over and over and over again, there is this feeling that every time you move up to a new level, you feel this pressure, like you got to do better. It doesn't go away. You, you decide to, to get married, and maybe your marriage is struggling a little bit, and so you feel this thing, i got to do better. i got to be a better spouse. You have a kid, come on, parents, you hold that baby in your arms, you think, i got to do better. I got to do better. And what happens is we bring that mindset into our relationship with God. We bring it into our relationship with God. And so every level we move up, our coaches on our teams, our teachers, our parents, our bosses, we always feel this fr- pressure to perform, like, like we've, we've got we to get it together. And so we try to start a relationship with Jesus, and all we can think about is, I need to do better. I feel this pressure. I got to get it together. I got to be more. I got to perform more. I've got to get it together. And I talk to your story. I listen to you. I talk to you. I hear your stories. And everybody uses the same language. I really just got to get it together, Pastor Jason. I really just need to get my life together. I'm really trying to get the pieces together. Really trying to figure it out. I got to get it together. I got to get it together. We all have this thought, this mindset, this feeling in us That if our parents wanted us to do better, and our teachers wanted us to do better, and our coaches wanted us to do better, and our bosses wanted us to do better, then obviously God would want us to do better. And so when we begin to think that way, or it's inherently inside of us, here's what happens to us. We believe that without God or without Jesus, we're bad. We're bad. We need to do better. We're bad. But with Jesus or with God, we're good, or at least we're better. And so you know, we all live it. I got to get it together. I need Jesus in my life because I need to get better. I need to get my life together, and Jesus will help me do that. Here's the problem. The Bible doesn't ever talk about our relationship with God in that way. It doesn't do it. The Bible doesn't describe people who don't have Jesus as bad. And it doesn't describe people who do follow Jesus as good. Never does it. The Bible describes people without Jesus as dead. And people with Jesus as alive. Let me say it this way. God did not send Jesus to make bad people good. He sent Jesus to make dead people Alive, alive. And Ephesians is going to explain it to us, and it's going to say that without Jesus, you're not bad, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 1. We're going to eventually make it to verse 5. We'll get there soon. But let's start reading. Verse 1. 
Here's what it says. It says, once you were, what's that word? Dead. Once you were dead. It doesn't say once you were bad. It doesn't say once you really had a temper problem. It didn't say once you were addicted. No. It says once you were dead. Now, it's talking in past tense. So he's talking to people who have already put their faith in Jesus Christ. But if that's not you today, you could read this in present tense. You are dead. Once, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, once we were dead. Because, why were we dead? Because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, sometimes older translations of the Bible just have the better words, just perfect words to describe what they're trying to say. So in older translations, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that once you were dead because of your trespasses and sins. And why does that matter? What's the difference? Well, it matters because there's a difference between trespass and sin. We think of sin as a verb. I don't want to go sin. I need to stop sinning. But the Bible talks about sin as our nature. It's who we are. Think of it like DNA. That we are born in in sin. We are sinners. We could go into a coma for six months, not be able to move or talk or do anything, so we wouldn't do anything bad. We'd still be sinners. Because we are born in sin. So we are dead because our nature, we are, we are sin. But we're also dead because of our trespasses. Now, you know what it means to trespass. To trespass means you cross a line that you're not supposed to cross. You cross a boundary line. And so the reason as sinners that we trespass, or the reason we trespass is because we are sinners. Let me explain why this is important. Because it's easy for us to think that if I'm not trespassing, if I'm not doing bad things, then I'm not dead. But Paul says, no, you're dead because your nature is to be a sinner. There's nothing you will ever do about that. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. Okay? They messed it all up for us. Let's keep going. All right? You used to live in sin, Paul says, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, we got to stop because if you're anything like me, when you read those words, you're like, okay, that's a little overkill. I'm not obeying the devil, all right? That's a little much. I got some issues, but that's fine. I'm not obeying the devil, we talked about this last week when it said that, that, the, that the devil is our father. It's like, okay, that's a little much, right? Jason, I would never obey the devil. And Paul says, you still in sin. The sin that is in you, that has you dead, has you obeying the devil, the commander. You could take out commander. It would be fair to replace it with the word master. Obeying the devil, the master of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts, working in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Okay, I get it, Jason, but I don't obey the devil. Let me, let me show you what this means. Let me show you what this means. Um, Andrew, will you come help me? Jimmy, will you come help me? Uh, you, you help me, Jimmy? Yeah, that Jimmy too. Come on up here, Jimmy. That's good. I got two Jimmys. That's good. That's, I, got two, I got two Jimmys. That's great. So I don't have, I don't have pets. I don't have a dog. Um, but based on people who do and who tell me that dogs just don't come, like they're not just born uh, trained. For people who have dogs, you know this is true, right? So you have to train them. And so Paul is writing here, and he says, because there is this sin in your heart, 
Your master, go with me, is the devil, and you obey him. Now, Jesus shows up and says, I am life. We know, based on John 10.10, 10, we talked about last week, we talk about it all the time, that the devil wants for your life. He's just, what he wants is just to kill, steal, and destroy. So he shows up lying to you to get you to believe that other things in this world will make you alive, right? And we fall for it every time, don't we? Why? Because we obey the devil. Watch this. So, Andrew, you want, or Jimmy, you want to come up here first? Jimmy, I'm the devil in this illustration, and, and I'm the master, and you're the dog, no offense, in this illustration. <laughs> and so the devil shows up in your life, Jimmy, because there is sin in your heart, like there's sin in all of our hearts. We are wired to believe that something else will make us feel alive, that something else will give us life. So the devil shows up, Jimmy, and says, Jimmy, listen, I, 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 this job, this new job, is going to give you that more money. It's going to allow you to get those things that you want. And if you'll get this job then you, this is what will finally make you feel alive. Do you want it, Jimmy? Do, do, you want, do you want to feel alive? Do you want more money, Jimmy? Do you want to be able to do the things you want to? Do you want it? Do you want it, boy? Do you want it? Right? You want it? All right, Jimmy, go get it. Go get it, Jimmy. Go get it, Jimmy. Come here, Andrea. I, I know that you feel incomplete because you're not able to, to have a child, and so you look around, and you see, but, but if you could ever have, oh, I'm not done, Jimmy, get back over here. Uh, but if you could ever, but like, this is what will finally complete you. This is what will finally complete you. Do you want it? Do you really want it? All right, go get it. Go over there and get it. Go get it. Come up here, Jimmy, number two. All right, Jimmy, I, I know that, that you, you're, you're in a committed relationship, but that girl is really attractive, and that if you were able to really ever be with her, like if you could ever have sex with her, that, you, that would finally be the apex of everything that you've been searching for, Jimmy. Jimmy, this is what's finally going to fix you, Jimmy. Go get it, Jimmy. Go get it. We could keep going and going, right? Right? I know, I know Jimmy, that, that this, this, this substance that you think you have under control but you do have it under control. Don't worry about it. And if you ever gave it up, you'd be so bored. Life would be so miserable. Jesus wants you to give this up. This is the best thing that's ever happened to you. So, Jimmy, you can handle it, Jimmy. Can't you handle it, Jimmy? Don't you know you can handle it? Come on, Jimmy. Go get it, Jimmy. You can do it, Jimmy. We could keep going and going and going because isn't it true? Isn't it true? Come on, listen to me. Watch me. I know this is funny, but it's true. Watch me. We just keep playing fetch with the devil over and over and over again. And we finally get there and we're like, man, I'm such an idiot that I thought that that was gonna complete me. I thought that that was gonna give me life. I really thought that that, that house, that car, that guy, that girl, that sex, that drink, that amount of money, I really thought that was gonna do it. I'm so stupid. Now I realize Jesus through the life. And because of the sin that's in our heart, all of a sudden we're like... There's another, there's, we're playing fetch again. Are you following me? That's what Paul means. He says that sin that is in your heart is causing you to obey the devil and you just keep playing fetch. And Jesus is over here like, will you stop chasing those stupid tennis balls? I am life. And the devil's like, no, 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 this is it. We're like, okay, going to get it. Does that make sense to everybody? Come on, give him a hand. You guys take the balls with you. Here you go. Take those with you. Thank you, sir. Because we are sinners. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Because we are sinners, the spirit of sin is at work in our hearts. And it keeps us falling 
for the same lies over and over again. That something else will give us life. It never works. Now, some of you right now, you're in the middle, but you haven't found out it doesn't work yet. And that's okay. The worst thing I could do is try to talk you into following Jesus when you're not convinced that something else is not better. But eventually, two months, two weeks, two years, 20 years, eventually you will realize it didn't work. When it does, we'll still be here. And Jesus will still be saying to you, I am life. I'm life. Now, there are so many translations of the Bible out there, and, and, and we're fans of you finding what works for you. But I want to read these first three verses before we wrap this up. I want to read these first three verses from the message translation because it's kind of a paraphrase translation, and I love the way that it says it. So let me just read this to you. It's not on any of your notes. It says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. That's the lie, right? That's what the devil told Eve. Did God really say you couldn't have that? Why is he holding out on you? We believe that if we could ever have whatever we wanted whenever we wanted it, we'd finally be free. So we keep fighting for freedom. STDs are up, suicides up, depressions up, medications up, addictions up. Why? Because we keep believing that whatever we want whenever we want is the way to have life. And Jesus says, no, I'm life. I'm life. Let's keep reading. All of us used to live that way, Paul says. All of us. Don't feel bad if you're like, I'm such an idiot. I keep playing fetch with the devil. We all play fetch with the devil. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our simple nature. By our very nature, our DNA, we're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. It's the nature of every human being. And what we deserve is death. We're already dead. But what we deserve is eternal death, separation from God. God is holy. He cannot be around sin. That's what we are. We deserve hell. We deserve death. And if the verse stopped right there, as depressing as it is, all of us in a sense would be like, yeah, we're broken. We're messed up. We're sinful. We're not good enough from God. There is something inside of all of us that goes, yeah, I get it. That's not where the verse ends. But God, everybody say, but God. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were, what's that word? Dead. Even though we were dead. Not even though we were bad. Even though we were dead. Because of our sins, he gave us improvement. No, it's not what it says. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's why it's such a big deal, by the way. Why does everybody get so excited about Easter? Because we celebrate the fact that God, that Jesus was dead and was brought back to life. And if Jesus was dead and was brought back to life, then we get to have life. 
Just so you know, that's why we do baptism the way that we do. When you go under the water, symbolically, it represents death to your old life. You come out of the water, new life. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, a man must be born again. New life. Jesus did not come to make you better. He came to make you new, to give you life. Give you life. So when Jesus said he was the life, he didn't just mean that he makes you feel alive. He will. He will. He literally meant that he is the only way to live. He gives us eternal life, life forever with him, but eternal life also means life to the fullest now. But he doesn't give it to us because we're able to get it together. He doesn't give it to us because we're able to do better. He gives it to us because of grace. All of us are inclined to believe. We, we hear that Jesus, we're dead, but Jesus gives us life, and we're like, yes. And then because it's been ingrained in us since we were two years old, we go, don't mess it up. Do better. Get it together. Why you keep messing it up? God's so disappointed in you. And, and just about the time that we, we begin to think that, it's almost like Paul knew we were going to think it because he adds some parentheses onto this thing. And he said, it's only by God's grace you have been saved. How silly would it be to go down here to the local funeral home and to look at a dead body laying in a casket and be like, get it together, buddy. You really need to get it together. Snap out of it. Come on. Everybody be like, uh, he's dead. So when you look in the mirror, you feel guilt and shame over your life going, come on, you need to get it together. Without Jesus, you have no hope of ever getting it together. Can you lose some weight? Yeah, 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 lose some weight. That's not what we're talking about. Can you get more organized? Yeah, you can get more organized. Can you smoke less? Can you? Yeah, that's fine. I'm talking about your soul. You can't get it together. You're dead. I'm dead. We're dead. The only way we have life is Jesus. He shows up. He says, I'm the way. How do we do this thing? He says, I'm the way. Well, what, what is even true to begin with? He says, I'm the truth. Well, how do I live? He said, I'm the life. I'm the life. You want to live? You find it in me. And we should leap for joy because he made it so exclusive and simple. But we want to push back from it. I say, I don't know if I want to obligate myself to that. There's still some things out there that I really want to do. And so we want to keep playing fetch. Keep playing fetch. Every person in this room needs a but God moment. A but God moment. There's a lot of ways to say the word but, right? Like maybe you've heard some of these, you know? Somebody said like, you're a really nice guy, but it's just not going to work out, you know? Or maybe, maybe somebody's really bragging you, oh, you're this, you're this, you're this. Or they're telling a story that sounds too good to be true, and you're like, but... That's not this kind of but. This is a but filled with enthusiasm and hope and, and encouragement. That we were dead. We were lost in our sin. We were dead. We were lost in our sin. And any normal person would be getting really discouraged right now. And Paul says, but God. And everybody in the room needs a but God moment. I'm addicted, but God. I have anger issues, but God. I feel completely inadequate to do what life is demanding of me, but God. I've hurt a lot of people real bad, but God. I can't let go of something that happened to me in the past, but God. 
Now, I want to read one more verse to you. It's not on your notes. It's not on the screen. I just want to read this to you. It's in Deuteronomy. It's an Old Testament book. You probably never read it. But God is talking through Moses to people who just came out of slavery, and they have a chance now to choose this life that they want to live. And he says in verse, chapter 30, verse 19, God talking to the people says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And this is the last words God says to them. Oh, that you would choose life. So don't get this idea that Jesus is like got this attitude like I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't like it, too bad. He's not flipping birds and walking off the stage. You know what I mean? He's not, he doesn't have this attitude of like, I'm the way, so deal with it. No, 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 no. We've said this each week. He says this with the heart that loves you so much that he's willing to come and die in your place so that you would choose life. So you'd choose life. And so with the heart, a loving heart of a father, he says, oh, that you would choose life. Will you please stop playing fetch? Stop believing the lies that something else will give you life. I'm the only thing that will give you life. So let me just end with these questions. Throw a couple questions at you. See what sticks. First question is this. Do you know when your but God moment was? Do you know when your but God moment was? Some of us have been attending church for a really long time. Some of us claim to be Christians. But we cannot tell you our but God moment. When I knew I was dead, but God made me alive. And I understand faith is a journey. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, I don't really have a time or a moment. Or I don't really raise my hand. But, you know, I just, the, 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 the scary part about that is if we're not careful, we can think that we went from being bad to better. And that's when we met Jesus. You need a but God moment. I was dead but now I'm alive. It's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not I was bad, but now I'm better. I was a potty mouth, but I don't say no so much no more. I was, no, no, no. The message of the gospel is I was blind. I can't make myself see, but now I see. I was lost. I can't find myself, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. So when was the moment when you realized that you were unsavable, but God saved you. If you haven't had that, we're going to give you that moment later in the service today. God, I want life from you. Let me ask you the second question. Second question applies to all of us in the room. Do you feel alive? Do you feel alive? I mean, that's about as simple as it gets. Because sometimes we want to debate, we want to argue, we want to... Do you feel alive? Has it worked? Has the way that you have sought life actually given you life? Or is it not working? Because the beautiful thing about God is that he will let us experience misery to realize he's life. And so if you're here today and you say, Jason, I don't feel alive, maybe it's because you have not asked Jesus to give you life. Let me ask you one more question. One more question. When you think about eternity or the afterlife or whatever you call it, you know, when you think about that, 10,000 years, a million years, whatever, forever, when you think about that, are you filled with hope? 
I don't say this, like I know that the thought of forever is really kind of this daunting, scary thing, even for those of us who have Christ, but it's not supposed to be. But I'm not saying this to make you scared or afraid, but when you think about eternity, the next life, when you think about it, are you filled with hope? Because you know that Jesus Christ has saved your soul. Or is there this piece of you that goes, I don't know, I don't know. Because Jesus said, I can give you hope because I'm life. So the next time you're watching football and you see that guy in the end zone with the poster board that says John 3, 16, remember what it says. That God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will improve. No, that's not what it says. And whoever believes in him will feel better. That's not what it says. And whoever believes in him will cry during the worship songs. No, that's not what it says. It says whoever believes in him will not perish, will not have death, but will have eternal what? Life. Free advertising on national TV today when you're watching football. Believe in Jesus. Ask him to give you life, and he will give you life. Let's pray.